This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is March 28, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, my name is Mike Fordham, and I was on WRHU from 2002 through 2006. And what shows or programs did you work on? I uh, primarily was on Rock and Roll Oasis as well as Airwave, but I also did uh, some time on The Aggressive Edge, on Newsline, um, Out of Phase when that was a show, uh, Morning a Wake Up Call, and as well as the, the, the pop show I did once or twice. Um, I, the name escapes me, but uh, that, that, that was interesting because <laughs> okay. I'm not really a pop guy. Was that Uncharted Territory? Yes, you are correct. Okay. Okay. I'm paying attention. Uh, did you work on any of the weekend shows or community service programs? I, I did not. I was such a, a music guy coming in. Uh, and I was a audio radio major. That's That was my sole focus. It was all about the, uh, the, the, the block programming shows. Okay. Did you have any titles or positions at the station? I did, actually. I uh, worked my way up to the Rock and Roll Oasis director, and I held that for a year, I believe. And then I worked my way up to music director at the station. I think I held that for only about six months because uh, I ended up actually as part of the, the pre-professional development that WRHU stresses. I actually got a job while still at Hofstra working for Sony Music. So it was kind of tough to, uh, to juggle both at the same time. So that's why I was MD for only about six months. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Uh, when you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air personas? Yeah, I, I did. This is a, a very much a, a case of be careful what you wish for. Uh, I was talking in um, with uh, Andrew Falzone and Mike DiPatrillo, who had taught the uh, the training class I was in. This was after I'd passed. And I was like, look, oh man, my name Mike. Obviously, it's so boring. I think there were several Mikes in my training class alone. And it's like, man, I, I kind of wish it like a nickname, just, just something different, especially for on air. So Mike DiPatrillo said, hey, how about Hunter? And I was like, yeah, cute. Ha ha, that, that's funny, whatever. But I think in the, the final... Um, like the, the last class we had met after the test, uh, I'd answered a question and Mike had said, hey, Hunter. And everyone's like, what? So I guess I was dubbed at that point. And uh, that was my on-air name. And it followed me through all four years of my time at RHU. And to this day, Falzone and quite a few other people still call me Hunter, despite the fact my, that is not my uh, legal name. Wow. And it was just a random name he threw out? Yes, it was just completely made up out of the air. So uh, thank you, Mike D., wherever you may be. Wow. Okay. Very cool. So let's talk about how you got to the radio station. What is it that brought you to the station? And then if you could sort of paint a picture of what things were like at the station, if you remember people that you met or what it looked like or your first impression of the station. Sure, sure. I originally was accepted to Hofstra as a television major, and my high school was lucky enough to have a radio station. I took it as kind of a uh, blow-off type class the second half of my senior year, and just remember the electricity that uh, I felt the first time that I went on air. It was alongside one of my good friends. We had our own show in the afternoon. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm a music guy. This is way more exciting to me than TV, so I'm actually going to switch my major to, to radio. And I um, had visited Hofstra several times, and I remember being at RHU, I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, I definitely see myself being here, even though at the time I was strictly going to be a TV guy. Uh, but certainly when I changed majors, like, all right, I, I'm going to live here. I'm going to have fun. So I was lucky enough to um, um, 
interview with, I think it was Dustin Gervais and Bruce, and I think Ed Ingalls, I think were part of my interview, if memory serves, and uh, lucky enough to have gotten part of the training program and gotten involved with that. I remember Emily Tweedy was the music director of Memory Serves. Like, all right, I want her job. That sounds like a lot of fun. Hmm. And their uh, students in the training class were kind of gunning for that position too. Like, you know what? I'm going to make this happen. And I did, which was really, really cool. Um, it just seemed like a really fun place to be. I was pretty bowled over by the fact that uh, record labels and radio promotion companies would send, at the time, CDs to uh, students to check out and play. Like, that sounds awesome. I, I sure want record labels and, and whatnot to have my name and email address and, and mailing address to send me free music. Does that sound exactly what I want out of a career as well as uh, personally? So especially as a poor college student. Um, I always thought it was really neat to walk into the, the main room and see the, the whole giant cubby full of bins and bins of CDs and, and some LPs as well, or even going into the, um, gosh, I forget the name of the room, but it was where a lot of the, uh, the show directors had their desks and there was just tons of posters and CDs and bric-a-brac and like, all right, this is totally my vibe. This is, this is where I want to be. And Irigo spent a majority of my four years at Hofstra mm-hmm. uh, at Station. So was that the music office where the producers all had their room together with all the posters and stuff? I, I definitely did my fair share of putting up some posters in that room, which was fun. And, and even spending a lot of time in the, the CD room, uh, the, the CD library was just awesome, kind of going through and rearranged that so many times and made sure as part of my uh, community service to the station, kind of going through and listening to stuff and labeling a lot of the albums and whatnot. So it was uh, always a labor of love. And even going into where the, the LP uh, rack was between the two studios was always very fun, too. I want to go back a little bit to your high school uh, class and, the, and that environment. Do you remember the teacher? Do you remember anything about the equipment or the experience? Could you give us a little bit more information about what it was that, that seemed so exciting? Uh, sure. I had The teacher was a guy named Dave Kelber. Um, he actually had – our school had a TV station too. It was kind of like the, the local – um, like information, uh, public access channel. And I'd taken TV one and TV two with him. So he knew me well. And actually, um, my junior and senior year of high school, I actually worked at the TV station. I was paid 10 bucks an hour. And I worked with, with Dave to film a lot of events for school, mostly a lot of like public affairs type programming interviews with local politicians and, and uh, sporting events for the high school and whatnot. Um, but yeah, he had taught the class and it was just kind of like a, a free form, like, all right, here's how you use the board. You figure it out from here. Here's the rule. You can sign up for your own show with, um, with whomever. So I signed up with a good friend of mine, Chris Cook, and we just, just go and have fun. Here's your two hours a, a week. So we played, you know, whatever new music and classic rock stuff that we listened to. He had his own music that he made. So we'd play that on the show. I just, it was such a great feeling. Like, I think it was three to five is when our show was on Tuesdays, if, if I recall correctly. I'm just like, oh man, like this is really exciting. It was just so riveting just to be able to, to really have fun and kind of speak our minds about the music, certainly within the, the confines of the FCC, mm-hmm. obviously. And it's just like, oh, like this is really cool. This is what I, yeah, it's just so exciting. It was just very, very just riveting. So kind of that lightning in a bottle type feeling was just something I wanted to really carry with me and kind of go through um, professionally with. So it's kind of the approach that I always took when I was on RHU. Um, I didn't really care for my voice things kind of nasally, but I always felt that I could be like 
the like the smart guy like all right here's a cool new band that you may not be familiar but i think you'll like or here's a, a cool tidbit that perhaps you're not aware of about this particular artist or song that you like um i was always very very fond of uh, matt pinfield he actually grew up in new jersey and kind of got his start uh in jersey uh, as well so it was kind of like my idol it's very like cool but informative and kind of like, like like that older brother or like that cool clerk at the record store type like all right like, here dude like you gotta check this one out uh, that was kind of the uh, the approach that I always took uh, as a broadcaster and a DJ on RHU. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. So where did you go to school and your high school? And was it an FCC station? Did you have a transmitter? Was it or is it just sort? Yeah, of it was uh, WCVH. It was um, in Flemington, New Jersey. Uh, my high school was Hundred and Central. Um, yeah, it was. Gosh, I, I think it was a. T- I want to say ten watts, but I, I could be very very wrong it was not very it was just enough to broadcast to uh the local community like everyone would flip on this the the radio station or the tv station um when it was inclement weather like oh we get we, we staying home from school today mm-hmm. like fingers crossed kind of thing but that was excuse me primarily what the station was for as well as a training ground for uh future broadcasters as well so yeah we just had a uh, a tiny board from the 70s that's probably still there and beat up as all get out uh, but it was good enough for, for a bunch of high school students to kind of go have some fun and uh, it's a perfect sandbox radio. Nice. And when you were thinking about college, I mean, you said you were thinking about TV production. Was uh, Hofstra at the top of your list? Were you thinking about other schools? Um, no, Hofstra was definitely the top of the list for sure. Um, I just uh, like the proximity, obviously, to, the, to to New York City and certainly with being uh, media focused. Um I wasn't that far away from home. It was about an hour and a half from where I grew up in Flemington. So like if I needed to go home and see family or whatever, I could, but it was still far away enough that it wasn't um, going to be a regular habit. Um, funny, funny story, actually. Uh, my second choice was Ithaca College. And one of my best friends that I met at WRHU, it still remains a good friend uh, to this day, is a guy named Eric Masson. And we found out later that his second choice actually was Ithaca. So it's like, dude, like conceivably, we still could have met at WICB, their radio station up there, and still became great friends. So that was kind of funny. Um, yeah, I was accepted at Penn State as well as Monmouth University. Uh, but Hofstra was always number one. I just love the campus. I just thought it was a, uh, a great atmosphere. I, it seemed like it would be a good mix for me academically as well as extracurricularly, if that's even a word. And again, you just can't beat the proximity to New York City for, for being in, in the media field. Yeah, absolutely. So you get on campus and you do this interview and the training classes, what's next? Do you remember anything from that? Yeah, every week. Oh gosh, it was Wednesday or Thursday evenings. I actually had to switch a um, a night class I had. It was astronomy. I remember it pretty vividly uh, in order to accommodate um, what the training class would be. But I certainly was willing to do that. Uh, gosh, I remember that first class and seeing that this, this balding, gruff looking dude step up and say, I like to sleep nights. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And all sorts of other four letter words. He's like, I'm going to about to hand you the keys to the Starship Enterprise. And just like, man, this, this guy's a jerk. Like, who is this guy? And obviously, uh, fearless leader, Bruce Avery. And, um, it was extremely funny. Um, 
I think it was probably a year or two after I graduated. I found myself on campus one evening and I found it like, oh, actually Bruce is teaching the class. So I just popped my head in whilst they're having a break. And he actually introduced me uh, to the rest of the class saying like, hey, this could be you. Like this guy works you know, professionally in the music industry all because of RHU. And it's like, yeah, like, look, I didn't tell, I owe my, so much of my career to this guy for, for training me not only as a broadcaster, but giving me so much opportunity to get involved um, with different aspects of radio and the music industry. And I, probably the biggest takeaway that I had um, from the station honestly was the uh, the interviews um as an executive board member i had the privilege of sitting on so many interviews for potential um rhu uh broadcasters that it really helped me to kind of understand a lot of the philosophies that um folks like bruce or joel meyer or john mullen or ed ingles would bring when they were doing a lot of these interviews so that it really helped me considerably when I was going on interviews uh, for my own uh, positions full-time in the music industry. And it gave me so much confidence uh, being able to go to interviews and prepare and kind of know what to do and present myself. So I really owe so much of that uh, to Bruce. And it's just, again, it's just funny. This guy I thought was an absolute insert, you know, terrible euphemism here at the start and like I almost would consider a friend uh, at the end of four years, and just so thankful for all that he gave me and allowed me to do. Um, it's just wild to think about how those things really do come full circle. Wow! So, so that first class, Bruce was coming off as as the heavy, as the tough guy, as a yes. you know, we're setting standards here, and and you know, you better live up to it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. It was like, whoo, like, I, I guess this isn't just going to be like, hey, I'm going to go play, you know, the cool new, you know, hip band that I came across kind of thing. Like, there's a lot more that's expected of me uh, being a part of the station. I think that's one thing I always ended up appreciating um, was how professionally run and maintained that the, the station was and, and ultimately conducted versus so many other stations that were just like true sandbox radio. Like there was no training class or if there was, it was like maybe an hour, like, Hey, here's how to use the board. Don't swear, have at it uh, kind of scenario. So um, in preparing so many students for not only um, positions in the music industry, but certainly in journalism and sports broadcasting, you get such a leg up. And that's why I'm not surprised at all to see the station continually win so many national awards for, for you know, best radio station, best uh, radio journalism, what have you. Hmm. Um, I want to go back to that training class because you've got a little bit of experience. You've got an idea of what you want to do. And mm-hmm. some of us, when we're 18, 19 years old, we're a little perhaps overly confident or, or sure of ourselves. Did you feel like the class was going to be worth your while or you, did you kind of expect to walk in and, and take over? Um, I think probably somewhere in the middle, definitely the expectation that I want to come in and do some big things and have fun and kind of make a mark. But on the other hand too, like seeing all these, um, these great students that a were a lot taller than I was at the time and B just so much more mature or at least at, at the onset in the classroom. Anyway, I thought, I'm like, all right, I got to kind of not not grow up, just kind of make sure I present myself 
in a very mature and professional light, um, which ended up, well, obviously on air, yes, but certainly with a lot of the, the friendships and funny scenarios you find yourself in after the fact, not, not necessarily the case. Um, but I think I owe so much of my professional, I think personal development too, to the station. I met so many great friends there, a number of whom I still stay in touch with. Gosh, almost 20 odd years after the fact I graduated. Um, but, but again, I, with, with regards, as I mentioned earlier, to pre-professional development, I think all that I was able to accomplish at the station really helped me get a leg up and start my career in the music industry because of the station. When I came in, I really had no concept of precisely what I want to do. Like maybe something in, in radio, maybe an on-air DJ or something in the music industry, but it really helped me kind of, um, hone in on that ultimately Hmm. and actually in my one of my future positions i ended up being um like kind of the point person for a bunch of college radio campaigns it was really funny to actually sit on side of the other side of the the telephone so i wasn't the the music director being pitched but i was the one doing the pitching like hey man play my records uh so it was kind of fun to interact with the wrh music director at the time like come on man i'm a legacy do me a solid here (laughs) using some other um whatever ways i could cajole uh the music director to, to play my records so but again having that experience having been on that side of the telephone uh really helped uh, inform that the way ultimately that I conducted business uh, later on. Hmm. Uh, going back to the training class, obviously you got through the class, you passed the test uh, and you're getting on the air the first time. If you don't mm-hmm. remember the exact time, that's okay. But do you remember your feelings about getting on the air? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Or were you like, Oh, I've done this already. It's going to be easy. Uh a mix of exhilaration and terror. I'm like, <laughs> yes, like this is finally happening. It's rock and roll oasis. Like, all right, I love classic rock. I grew up listening to this music. I know it very well. And God, I hope I don't mess up or say something inappropriate or, or make sure that I'm hitting hitting the post or pressing the CD to start at the right time. So it was one of those like, oh, just trying to coordinate it. Um, when I was on air at my high school, it was myself and another friend. So it was like, all right, one guy would maybe man like the CD player or the tape deck at the time. The other one would just kind of strictly be on the microphone and certainly would switch positions. But this was the only time because it was it was just me doing everything. So it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to make sure I fill out the logs. And God, I, I, it's the FCC. I got to make sure I fill this out in the wattage and, and all that good stuff. So um, it, it definitely took a, a, a good long while, I'd say probably at least a uh, semester or so, but before, before I finally felt like somewhat comfortable um, being in the booth with, with all that was uh, uh, required of me. Hmm. Hmm. Um, was there a moment or was it just sort of that gradual getting used to the responsibility of being a combo engineer? I, probably the latter, just like, okay, I got to make sure like this is, I think it was 40 or, or 50 minutes after the hour was when you had to fill out the, uh, the logs. You got to make sure that the, the top of the hour, you had to say the, um, the call letters and the, the site of broadcast and I think it was 20 and 40 and 60 minutes you had to repeat WRHU. And obviously after the uh, the end of every mic break, WRHU, Radio Hofstra University. So it's just trying to make sure all, all those things uh, were taken care of. And, and while still trying to present yourself you know, <laughs> knowledgeably and certainly having fun on air as well. Well, it's clear those training classes uh, 
uh, made an impression. You're you're remembering all the details from it. So that's that. Uh, was it cool. WRHU Radio Hofstra University exists to provide pre-professional development to qualified Hofstra students? I think that was the mission statement, something right. like that. All right. Very cool. So yeah, you got you drilled in the skull uh, during the training class. All right. So let's get down to serious business here. You've mentioned several times that the music was your thing. Mm-hmm. So what were you listening to in high school or those early years in college? What was what was your thing? I was a huge fan of of the bands, the Dave Matthews Band and Guster, when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like rootsy pop rock, I suppose, for lack of a better term. Um, that's something that definitely carried me through. And as well as uh, kind of made an impact uh, when I was on uh, Rock and Roll Oasis, when I ended up taking over the show as the, the director for it, um, the prior guy, Mike Bernstein, I want to say was his last name, um, I think didn't focus so much. Like Obviously, there was a mandate that you had to play some newer stuff, but I don't think it was necessarily a priority for him. And that's totally fine. I'm, I'm by no means knocking him because when he stepped down, obviously, I got the opportunity. But that kind of gave me, I was like, you know what? Like, There's such a... Uh, an opportunity here to bring some really great music in, you know, so it's not just like the stones or um, uh, CCR, these great classic rock bands. Certainly I love uh, alongside like maybe a new cut from, from one of those artists, like maybe a new track from Boston or something like that, but like to incorporate some stuff. I remember, um, oh God, like incorporating artists like, like Dave Matthews, like dispatch, um, trying to think of who else jack johnson one of those singer songwriter and pop uh the popier songwriters i guess that uncharted territory wouldn't, wouldn't bother with i just started to incorporate into there but it was also a time when like garage rock was still popular so mm-hmm. like like the white stripes for instance incorporated um two artists that are definitely stuck stuck or a couple artists actually that stuck out that i loved was exposed to um because of the station uh, one was Robert Randolph from the Family Band, mm-hmm. really, really great uh, Sacred Steel um, player, and it was just one of those things. I think Warner Brothers had sent me the, this live EP. I was floored by it. So we played the hell out of Robert Randolph. Um, there's another band called the Lost Trailers. It was kind of like a like country rock esque band. Uh, played the hell out of them. Actually, I had them on their on the station. They came by, which is really cool. I, picked them up at the Mineola train station, brought them to the station to the interview and brought them back. But they actually debuted a couple of tracks from their album before, like months before it came out on air, which is really cool on, on their, on our, on the rock and roll Oasis. And I think on their website, um, they actually say, Hey, listen to Mike Fordham's rock and roll Oasis show. Nice. Uh, they were great. Um, saw them a bunch of times at then called the lion's den in the mm-hmm. city. Uh, they mm-hmm. would always play there, play like a midnight show. But it was cool to get hooked up with tickets to see them because of the station. Um, another band called Blue String. It was phenomenal. Very much in the Dave Matthews band type realm with like sax and fiddle and whatnot. But like even like earthier approach, like almost like Peter Gabriel uh, type style. That was phenomenal. Uh, Love those dudes. I had them on air too, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so again, to my point, it was really cool to start – Another one is the John Butler trio, kind of a mix of, of Dave Matthews and John Butler or um, Ben Harp. They're like super rootsy, like before they kind of took off. But again, it was just really neat to be able to go hit up, as the the rock and roll Oasis director, go hit up a lot of labels or radio promotions company. Like, hey, like I would love to support this band, or if they were working me on something. Like, oh, like this is awesome! So totally work for what the DJs are playing here. So it was really great um, to do that, and think. 
remember getting so many listener calls like, oh, who was it? That was really cool. Nice. Uh, love those dudes. Like, thanks for, for turning me on to them. So definitely was um, justification that at least some people thought what I was doing was right. Um, yeah. And again, it was just a, a really fun time in in my life. I think it's, it's a time in most people's lives uh, going to college where they're exposed to so many new things. And it really just set me off on a, on a whole different path. That's very cool. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the timeline. When when you were producing the Oasis or other mm-hmm. shows like that, was there a singles policy, a top forty policy? Yeah, you couldn't play the uh, the big single that was worked to commercial radio. Uh, yeah, which was which was fine. I mean, so many times we'd be getting the full length album or full EP anyway. Um, it was never an issue at the end of the day. Okay. Okay. Just, uh, just trying to piece things together as I sure, put all the stories sure, sure. together. Um, who are some other people who are around? You mentioned some names earlier and obviously Bruce and, and Ed Ingalls and Joel, but who else was around that helped you feel comfortable at the station or gave you some good advice? As I mentioned before, uh, Andrew Falzone for sure is still a very close friend of this day. Mike DiPetrillo, I owe a lot to, um, gosh, uh, Jeff Cooperich, we were both in the same class. He was a, a good buddy. We still stay in touch periodically too. We're kind of along the same paths within going in the music industry as well. I mentioned Eric Massone as well. He was a very, very close friend uh, still to this day, certainly. Um, I think just finding like that kind of tribe really went a long way. Certainly in touch with folks like Anthony Shalhoub, Alicia Bagnelli, uh, Kat Sten. Um, you know, I think coming in the training class with some people that I knew already, having met at like some orientations was, was a, a help too. And I think, again, so many of us just lived at the station or did you kind of use the, the, the station as like a jumping off point for, for recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it was, certainly I had a, a, another group of friends that I lived with on campus, but it was nice to have a whole other group uh, of people too, that you went out and did stuff. Like there was so many times, like late nights at uh, the local TGI Fridays, uh, going to so many Islander games. Um, remember a lot of times uh, a guy named Tim Firth who did uh, the ska show um, also played for Hofstra's uh, club hockey team. And a lot of us in that, in that group were huge hockey fans. So we'd go down to, um, Oh gosh. And it was in long beach. They had a rink there. So we would steal some of the um, orange cones from the Hofstra par- RHU parking lot and use those to go down to the, to the rink. And we use those as like horns to uh, shout at the, uh, cheer on Tim and and Hofstra, but also Raz, the other team, which was always a lot of fun. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like (laughs) a good time. It it absolutely was some very, very fond memories. Remember uh, quite a few teams were none too happy about that. We've had to make quite a few uh, quick exits out of the arena after the game (laughs) before the the opposition's fans or teams decided to come chat with us. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of some other folks. Uh, Mike Appy was another great dude that I always liked. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a, a lot of fun. It was just a, a good energy. Andy Gladding was always just a, a total blast. Uh, I was good friends with Dave Plotkin, too. And actually, Dave and I, after we both graduated, did a couple like reunion-type uh, shows uh, on RHU, which was always a lot of fun. We did like a lot of focus on oldies, which was pretty cool, too. Um, yeah, just just some of the, the people. I'm sure there's other people I'm forgetting, and I apologize to those folks. Um, but yeah, it was uh, man. It just brings back a, a real big smile on my face. I'm sure you can probably see it through uh, our, our conversation here. It was just a, 
a, a real special time in my life. Yeah, it definitely, definitely comes through. Would it be fair to say that you got comfortable socially at the station pretty quickly? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I kind of found my people and it made a, a big difference ultimately kind of settling in and just kind of fitting in and saying, all right, like th- this is just kind of where I live and th- th- this is my career. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have these memories and obviously the, the station had an influence on your career in later years and, and it's easy. Well, I don't know I'll say it easy, but we're, we're looking backwards through time, but can you go back to when you were 18 years old and starting at Hofstra? Um, what did you hope Hofstra radio would be for you and what did it become? I just hope it would be something fun, um, that I, I would really enjoy and I hope that I could get a lot of free music, which I did. Hmm. And uh, definitely, you know, and I think throughout all four years, it definitely was always fun. I never went to the station like, oh, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Like, I never had that attitude. You know, what, even if it was something like um, a show that I wasn't necessarily my wheel. It's like I was doing like the Uncharted Territory. Granted, 7 a.m. for a college student, not the most fun time to be up, I'm sure bemoan that a little bit but you know i still took it with him like look this, this is what i've chosen to do and i'll do it and have fun with it you know i think there was always a sign in I think it was studio a it was the broadcast studio if memory serves but there was a sign that says smile I'm like yeah that, that's so true and so i always took that to heart when i was uh, speaking on air that you know again it may not be the thing you love the most but you know, present it and have fun with it, and I think that'll really shine through uh, on the broadcast. Um, and I certainly got a crap ton of free CDs and concert tickets throughout all four <laughs> years at RHU, which was uh, awesome when when is on a collegiate budget. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Well, we've been smiling through this entire interview. This has been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you sharing your stories, and I hope you have some more. I'll come up with some more questions, and maybe we can do this again sometime. Anytime. I'm sure that there's tons of stories and people I'm forgetting, and and more more than happy to chat about uh, the station as always. Again, it was such a uh, a pivotal time in my life, and I, I sure hope it continues to be for so many students, current and uh, upcoming for sure. So. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, my my pleasure. Certainly.